Slime Podcast. Just to see what was on the other side. On the other side. But thank God. Thank God for mountains. Without them, I'd have never touched the sky. I can't believe you've had a hundred conversations. It's amazing. Well, actually, I feel like I've had a thousand. It's just that I've recorded a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Um, and what, what's... Do you feel like you're starting? You've started to process it already. Like, oh yeah, I think I think it happened as it as you go. Oh, that would be amazing if at this point it turns out Hazel hates the environment and wants children to drive to school in four by fours. No. Twist. Twist. <laughs> <laughs> it needs a twist. This podcast. <laughs> We've made it to the final episode, the end of the beginning. Of course, there is so much more to talk about. I'm going to keep talking about it. I hope that you will too. But this project needs an ending, or several endings. You might like to pick one that strikes the right note for you. The choice was mine to make. Go back the way I came. Or keep moving, never looking down. One of the things that... I don't know if it's really about hope, but one of the things that makes me glad, happy, is that so many of the changes that we need to make for the planet would also be better for us, you know, slowing down, consuming less, having more nature in our cities, you know, all of these things that are the right thing for the planet actually also are going to make us happier, you know, are going to Yes, in, in that sort of vision of the future, things would be really different. But I don't, I don't think they'd be worse. I think they'd be better for all of us. I've got a quote from uh, Rob Hopkins stuck on the notice board above me, and he says, "The future could be absolutely fantastic. It could be a place where the food is amazing, the conversations are richer, where loneliness is a thing of the past." It could be a place of clean air, cities where food grows everywhere, where art flourishes, where we feel safe and nurtured. It could be a future of 100% renewable energy with thriving biodiversity. I can't wait. And I love that. I love that kind of, you know, we're working towards something exciting and beautiful and it doesn't have to be this difficult, dark, everybody's working the land and living in cold houses kind of vision. <laughs> So there's a cartoon which I always see on the internet, um, which is a is like a conference hall with a presentation about climate change, and says on the presentation it says any questions and someone has their hand up and they're saying, um, what if climate change is all a hoax and we create a better world for nothing, <laughs> which I do think is important because all of these things like taking. Get reducing car use and stuff, it'll just make the world better in other ways. It will. And, you know, if everyone who did this podcast had a conversation with, like, another ten people, that would be a lot of conversations. Communication across the human race is one of the best things 
most useful things to happen, I think, because we're not together. That's that's a bit like what we're talking about. Yeah. Everybody's got their own private notions from having heard things on TV or whatever, but we're not together. That's why I admire the Extinction Rebellion, because they're doing something about it like that. No, basically nobody's perfect, even the the plastic free person, <laughs> because you can't tread on the earth without having some impact. It's pretty that unless you're a monk who lives in a cave, like and even then you have to eat something, yeah. you know, and you probably produce a little lentil methane gas fart. <laughs> every now and again but that's okay we are allowed to use some of the environmental resources for our way of life we can you know give and take to the earth right but it would just be good if we didn't all consume quite as much as we're consuming and what we don't need to consume as well is the, no. that's the other thing isn't it and what we're not enjoying consuming either uh, then it's really pointless. Uh, yeah, like if that difference is on your row of houses that you live or it's in the small community around you, then that is impact. Mm-hmm. It's about shifting our minds as well when it comes to impact, I think, with environment, that, because you're thinking of things usually on a global earth scale. You're, mm-hmm. So that you are a green island, you know, if you make an impact on your immediate family around you and you, you get them to start eating vegetarian food one night a week and you've made impact so it's like I really like that way of thinking when things do become overwhelming. For me it would be about having a conversation with people and sharing this with other people so you've mentioned that you already feel like you do quite a lot of things so for someone who feels like they're doing quite a lot they're in an amazing position to influence it doesn't need to come from a news article or from a policy or from a charity or anything it can absolutely come from you because people care about their friends their family their peers and that's where you can have like a real um influence on people it is pretty exciting living through a time of change Mm. It's quite exciting, and a nervous kind of excitement. Not thinking, yay, so climate change is a thing now? That's really exciting now, and see what happens next. It's not like that. I think it's kind of a, it's a nervous excitement. I think it's, if you think of the goal, if you think of the goal as a climate and a hike, right now we're, I'd say we're round about the bottom, that we are finding shortcuts, I think. Yeah. If we think that all we are as human beings are egos on legs of meat, and it's all about competition and getting one up on our neighbour, if we think that life is about being self-centred, the competitive paradigm, then we will invariably destroy one another and the earth. War will be our nemesis. Ecocide will be our nemesis. But if we consider that there might be more to being a human being than just isolated egos on legs of meat here today, gone tomorrow, if it is possible that we might also be spiritual beings having a material experience 
and that we are profoundly interconnected to one another and to all of life, all of the cosmos, which is what the great spiritual teachings of the world say. Then our whole, whole orientation changes because it no more makes sense for me to compete against you than to compete against myself. Fundamentally, that human beings are good and want to do the best for themselves and everyone else. You know, I think somehow we've, we've fallen in, into some really bad habits of wealth creation and increasing inequality and disparity between people that ultimately I don't think makes you happy. So don't believe half the lazy here. And, uh, you know, tread lightly on the plan because it's the only one we've got. That probably sums it all up. This next section is my climates talking about living with another level of consciousness. And so for me, that question of sorting out what our worldview is, and if we don't have any evidence for a spiritual worldview, at least inquiring whether it might be a possibility, because if you don't knock, the door won't open. If you don't look, you won't see. This is a hugely important thing. And if people either don't want to do that spiritual inquiry, or can't be bothered to do it, then our future is pretty bleak. And in a way, it's because I think so many people don't take themselves seriously enough. Outwardly, they put it all into the outside. They want the flash car, the big house, the show-off fashion, whatever it is. But that's because... Uh, they're caught up in that competitive mindset. Inwardly, they haven't really started to open to the potential beauty of their inner lives. And if we can do that, this is where things like poetry and music are so important, where relationships are so important. If they can do that, they will start to find their own inner beauty and not need the same kicks in an outward sense. You'll still need satisfaction from outward things and that we all need enough food and shelter and culture and so on. But the kind of relentless drive to go from one kick to another like a drug addict starts to weaken. It's interesting as an artist because a friend said to me quite a few years ago, Ben, you don't need, you can make work that isn't about climate change. <laughs> I, I kind of... Um, I, I kind of envy people who have a creative process that is um, is about all of the other, the, the breadth of human experience. Somehow it feels like the urgency of this issue um, can be the only outlet for one's uh, energy. Um, yeah. One of the things that I hope to accomplish with my research is a better understanding of why humans 
behave the way they do and how we can use our uh, common um, mechanisms of, of music production and music understanding to facilitate uh, greater awareness to one another's similarities. And uh, in terms of climate change, I've been trying to adapt that knowledge into, into something that could uh, hopefully facilitate people to uh, care more about how what they do impacts others. Um, and through empathy and, and through uh, different things that a lot of music teaches us. I also want to hear some like good songs about it. No one's written any good songs about climate change. Yeah, they have. Um, there's a song called Earth, and it's got like the biggest artist in the world right now on it. Like, there's like 17 artists on it or something. It's called Earth. I think like the guy who viewers like to look up, his name's Lil Dicky. Great name, I know. But yeah, like he released a song about it like three weeks ago, and it went viral, and it had like all these amazing artists on it who are like everyone loves them right now. So. He did write a song about that, and it was pretty cool. How have I not heard about this? Right, I'm going to look that it's up. A, it was quite like, yeah, it's a, good, it's, a, it's a good little jam to just sort of, you know, wave your arms to and go, woohoo, climate change needs to stop. You know, I do, I do write about climate change in a way, but it's not so much like tackling it full force. It's also about, um, and you know, sometimes I do, sometimes I do blog about it. Or, or sit and write a very focused piece on it. But it's also for me being more about like embedding it in everything that I do. Um, I was trying which... to think of a banner for the protest and I was like, because there's so many different slogans and I didn't end up making this one, but I wanted to make one that said, look anew through globe-tinted goggles. And That's great. Almost like that idea of like, yeah, just everything. <laughs> just yeah. just put a spin on it that's like this. And it, uh, there's, there's, that's not the first time that that's happened, you know, when you start really thinking about feminism and then you're like, oh, everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> What's totally. the feminist angle on everything? Um, and it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's become part of the lens in which I see everything. So now I find myself sitting down watching the television, watching something, you know, like really stupid, like that Channel 4 programme about... Um, where our food comes from. And I'm sitting there thinking, why the hell are these Channel 4 presenters flying all around the world to tell me... They're flying to Madagascar to tell me about vanilla. What the hell? Don't they know there's a climate emergency going on? And so that's how I think the 3.5% works, is because suddenly you start seeing everything with like, hold on a second, I thought we weren't supposed to be flying everywhere, why are we doing this? Why are we flying people out to Poland for the BBC's big uh, Saturday evening game show? Why is it being filmed in Poland? And we're flying everyone out to Poland. Why isn't it being filmed in Salford? Why? Yeah, suddenly you start looking at everything with sort of like, why are we flying everywhere? Globe. But it just requires such like joined up cross policy thinking. It's like the Scottish government's ending child poverty plan should be like embedded with sustainability aspects like if you just think about it through the sustainability portfolio then it's a real challenge to make sure that it's like done justly but if you look at poverty and if you look at homelessness and if you look at all the other things and embed sustainability practices in those 
then it doesn't become as difficult. Yeah. The next voice is my husband. Over the course of this project, he's tolerated our family meals becoming vegan. He's had to learn to use cloth nappies. I've pledged not to fly for a while. We've tried a car-free holiday with two toddlers. We've bought an e-cargo bite. We've changed our shopping habits to reduce packaging, palm oil and new clothes or toys. And we've been trying to educate ourselves and really understand our impact. It's kind of been imposed on him, to be honest. I thought it would be good to check in with him. Um, what have you read that stuck with you? Um, I like Berners-Lee's uh, How Bad a Bananas book. Partly because I've not read anything like it before. I mean, the for those that haven't read it or not aware of it, it, it basically attempts to put a carbon footprint on all of um, life's normal activities, whether they be travel, uh, food, or... Um, consuming goods, whether they be electronic or, 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 or anything else. Um, which is interesting. Um, even if one wasn't to make any changes off the back of it, it allows you to get a sense of perspective about the kind of decisions that would make a difference and those that would not. And I don't think I had any sense of, well, I think it's referred to as carbon literacy, um, uh, before reading that book. Yeah. Let's have a look at an overview of the project then. Okay. Seeing as this is conversation number 99 and you've uh, been with me throughout. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is just the beginning of us completely changing our lifestyles and habits and, you know, this is just a first toe dipped in the water of what's to come? in terms of the journey that we can make in equifying ourselves? Or do you think that this is, that we're pretty much as about as comfortable as we can be? We're sort of on the more eco edge of what a lot of our friends are now. We're making, you know, the most conscious decisions out of the people that we know. It's higher up on our agenda than a lot of other people. I think that um, what will probably change is the fact that we have uh, two children who are, who are growing up. I think it's just more of a question of how that develops as the, the, the children grow up. So maybe I should ask it of you. Mm. What do you feel? Well, I, I want to say that we are at the start of what is going to get more, get deeper, more rooted, more interesting, more fun, and more exciting. But that, yeah, this path sort of direction is the right one to keep pursuing. The idea that you should tread lightly, use what you need, not consume, consume, consume without, um, you know, ever being satisfied, finding satisfaction in what you have, appreciating what you have and where it comes from and how it got to you and every part of that process and where it's going next. So thinking about the whole life rather than just that momentary use of the tea bag or whatever it is. 
and those sorts of things I think are not ha- just because of the society that we've been brought up in and the things that we're surrounded with they're not embedded at the moment and they will take practice to embed so it feels like yeah I think the answer is that we're not we're not done yet at all like this is just the start the, I think the, the main thing I was thinking about telling you as an update was that the central question has, has changed for me from something like, you know, how do we talk about it and still have a sense of humour into how can I use the power that I have to make the most difference? Yeah, that is a really hard question to answer, I would say. Yeah. When I started it my my best buddy there, Andy, I had a conversation with him really early on where he was like, what I want to get out of this course, I know I'm not going to get because what I want is a silver bullet. Like, I want to know the thing that we should all be doing to fix it. Like, what's the one thing that we should all focus on? And the conversation kind of spiralled around a bit and eventually we, I can't remember whether it was him or me, but we sort of agreed that you have to find a silver bullet for you. Like, what's the one thing that you have that lights you up, that that you have the skills for and the passion for and the stamina for that will keep you engaged? And then you need everybody to find that thing, to find their thing and use it and direct it and have the intent for it. It's a hard thing to find, I think, that kind of, what's my thing and how do I use it? Yeah. And you're on you so many ideas already about what about yours like you know yourself well. You know what you are passionate about and what you you know some of your potential. So like that's half the battle, I think. <laughs> yeah. I asked my dad and he said you're a storyteller, don't underestimate the role of storytellers and power of storytellers in it. Yeah. And I thought oh, that struck comfortable (laughs) there's something about my mood and my energy that's gone from oh god it's all so depressing and awful and to yes it's all really depressing and awful but this is where we live this is how we live this is what we live in what can I do that is going to be a small piece of positivity in this difficult situation how can I thrive in this and how can I make everything just a tiny bit better somehow and that that feels like a really big swing in mood (laughs) you see that is why you are conversation number 100 I knew that you would be right I want to have a happy ending and I genuinely I've got to a point where I'm like I'm not sure if there's a happy ending but there is a happy ending you see It'll be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if it'll last, but that's how I feel now. I feel like these are just the cards. Like these are the people have had shitty cards dealt to them since the dawn of time. These are the shitty cards that we've got. How do we build something beautiful? You know, we are this generation that has the potential to change everything. You know, this this moment in time 
will be gone really quickly and we have the opportunity to say actually we want the future to be beautiful and regenerative and sustainable and natural and connected and all of these delicious glorious things we have the power to do that now and if we don't do it now it'll be much much harder later on and that's such an enormous weight of duty and responsibility but it's also an incredible privilege and should galvanize people into heights of imagination and, and action that can make us all have amazing lives. There was something else in this final conversation, number 100, that I found really exciting about play and imagination. I think it might be really significant for my next step with all this stuff now that I have it in my head. Maybe we should play more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nobody, I mean, basically, this day and age, if anybody goes out playing dafties on the swings or whatever at, say, the age of 40, there's something wrong with them. No. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Do you think that's the answer? More joy, more play. <laughs> went to that pop-up tomorrow thing which was a lot of fun oh i saw pictures of that so what was that it was like you yeah did you make up a town yeah basically i I think they did it once before years ago so it's it's part of the or it was sort of led by the transition town people there was kind of an acceptance that the people in the room knew that in 2030 we wanted a sustainable world and it, so it was. It felt it was quite like a participatory arts thing. Like they kind of they got us into a room and counted up, and then we were in 2030, and we had to go in and find a space that felt like our space, and uh, we had to write something about ourselves on the board, something that sustained us, and we had we all had little blackboards. So you wrote that on your board, and then you put it down, and you went and wandered and looked at what everybody else had written, and then you went back to your spot and you had to talk to your neighbour. And you had to tell each other a story about something. And there were like suggestions for topics on the back of the board. So that was your like your next door neighbour in this new town. Um, and then you wrote something about that and you went and had a look around. And then you came back and you got together so that there were eight of you. And this was like your street, these eight pair, four pairs, so eight people. And you had to kind of quickly just look like, what would we do in our street? How would we change our street to make it more sustainable and like how would we want to do it and and a lot of us had food related things so we were like let's just dig up the road make it into like food growing thing let's have a campfire so we can have like or a fire pit so we can have communal food and that can be where we have our sort of political meetings where we discuss stuff and we can have a little shelter because the weather's not always going to be good and really sort of quickly came up with this little design um and then there was a bit more of a sort of as a big group let's they had big blackboards with key things like how you would communicate among the town how you would 
deal with health and well-being, energy, transport, sort of the big topics. And everybody went round and you could write on anything. There was one about ceremony and ritual, which I really liked. Um, and you had to write on like what, how, what you'd want it to look like or suggestions or whatever. And then you gathered around the board that you felt most drawn to. And you ended up in little smaller groups, which were like individual businesses. And then you got a charter from the city clerk and you had to sort of come up with a quick business plan. And then you had to build your business out of basically cardboard and twigs and uh, newspaper and anything else that happened to be in the hall. So like chairs or curtains or whatever. So I'd, I'd gone to the food one and I'd said I would be a grower. And there was another guy who wanted to be a baker and there was a community kitchen guy and there was a beekeeper. And so we built like a community garden, kitchen, learning space with like newspaper vegetables and things. We had a, a goat, which was a cardboard box. Um, and then when you wandered around the town, there was, so there was like there was an energy bit and there was somebody built a tram and there was uh, like a... There was a justice space, a regenerative justice space. There was there was all sorts of things. But yeah, it was essentially like there was a town square with all these businesses all around the outside. And then they had an opening ceremony. There was a town crier. <laughs> um, and we had a bit of a like little, there was a little song. And then you could go and visit all of the businesses and you were encouraged to kind of come up with ways you could work together with each other. And, and yeah, and then we went, back in time to 2019 and had to write like a postcard from your 2030 self to your 2019 self like what if you could t tell yourself something now what would it be like what would you what would your message be and it was incredibly powerful and like, people were really like you know there are people who think like you in the future there is a possibility for something in the future or or really like you need to start now like there's not much time to build this amazing future it was a really it was really fun it was a really playful fun day and then at the end of it people came away with this really kind of heartfelt like I've seen it can be done kind of it's like you've seen it can be done out of cardboard in the Battersea Grand Hall but it gave people a kind of sense of Maybe this is achievable, actually, this really impossible to imagine different world. Maybe it could actually be done. There's something really powerful about that, I think. And it was Rob Hopkins, the transition guy. He's just launched a just published a book about imagination. And it, so after that, it went into his book launch, which I couldn't stay for. But I think it was a clever, practical example of what he's trying to talk about in the book, about how how can you build something if you can't imagine it and you have to get people to imagine this really different way of living? What did um, people write the thing that sustained them on their blackboards? Lots of different things. So I, I went straight to growing stuff in the allotment. Like that has been my thing this year. And then when I was walking around, people had, there was definitely a nature theme, like bird song, walking in the woods, looking at the sea, um, there was a lot of um, relationships, like friends, family, um, connection. And then there were things like music, um, art, those kind of, I think those are probably the, the kind of key groups. 
nature art connection, I think. Great. Kind of well, things. that makes it simple then, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> as long as you're looking after one of those things. Yeah. People will be sustained. Look at you making art with your baby in your arms, talking <laughs> to your friend on Skype. You're like, if you were in the woods, you'd be the perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I came home from that day feeling feeling like usually I come back from London and I feel quite knackered like whatever I've been doing even if I've just been seeing a friend or something just being in London and the traveling and the air and whatever else and I came home that day and it had been a whole day and I felt like I had more energy than I had at the beginning of the day so that's really important like to notice because I it's so rare that I play like just and it's rare that you have the opportunity to I would say as an adult if you're not around kids I guess and even if you are but yeah we spent a whole day just like making stuff and pretending and it's like oh I feel good so the transitions movement is basically um getting towns or or settlements of whatever size usually small in size rather than big size to come together as a community and imagine what their settlement would look like if it was sort of post carbon like what what would they want how would they want it to be and what's important to them so is it that they want to be able to have food growing in the local area or do they want to be able to cycle everywhere or do is it about uh, biodiversity or and like there's, there's hundreds of things but to bring a community together and get them to imagine this future and then start working towards it from now so it sort of started out of peak oil and the idea that we were going to run out of oil and we had to do something now and it's kind of morphed but He's really, he's a really interesting guy and he's really passionate about this idea that what's missing from political life and community kind of sort of society is imagination. People don't have the spaces to imagine and they don't have the, they're not encouraged to imagine things differently and they've kind of forgotten how to do it. And so he wrote a book about transition and now he's just written this book about imagination and he's got a podcast actually that's um, him interviewing all sorts of different people but with the theme of imagination like one of his core questions is if you were to be uh, elected prime minister or president of your country on the mandate of making your country more imaginative what would you do? And it's really interesting the things people come up with to that but I think he, he'd be a really interesting person for you because he's, he does really value that kind of how do you bring people together to tell the story of their future and their kind of what's really important to them and is that being channeled in the right ways because basically it's not usually politically um, I feel like I've gone off on a little ramble there but I think he that sort of storytelling that's done collectively is a really powerful, fascinating. That's cool. There's just one final section. I need to include... And I can um, see you doing a startup eco-business from home. I've got a list of suggestions. Um, 
refillable balloons. Uh, I think I'd like to. I'd like the world not to be without party balloons. Uh, but I can't justify the plastic anymore. So somebody can surely invent one that you can fill again and again. That would be fantastic. You can just take yeah. down and store them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, are you any good at coding? Could you make an app? Um, an app that gets people. Oh, okay. He's doing computer game design, but he's doing the coding bit of it because that's what he loves is all the behind the scenes stuff. He doesn't care about the pretty pictures or the storyline. He just likes to make it work. Right. Well, if you put in your values, like, yeah, what you know, you think like animal cruelty is really important, that that doesn't happen. Environmentally, I'm really bothered about that. Whatever it is, your values are. And then you scan the barcode and it'll tell you how eco that project is. That would be so handy. It'll give you like a rating, like 78, this score is 78 out of 100 on your values list. That is a really good idea. No, that's a really good idea. I'm, I'm going to speak to him later and say, right, I've got an idea for you. Yeah, I don't need any of the profits. I just need it to exist. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, or a sort of, Comp competition to get people commuting more greener um, like they do it at schools to get kids to walk to school but you could do it within an office block where people get prizes for being really green with their commuting. So during this project at the back of my notebook I had a page for good ideas that I came up with and I'm just going to rattle through them in case anybody listening is in a position to make any of these things happen. You don't even have to involve me if you are able to make any of these happen, please do. A Where's My Vegan Ice Cream app, that should exist. A TV show that's eco-den, which is a bit like Dragon's Den, but for environmentally friendly ideas. A travel cafe, so this is happening locally, and people get together and tell each other about the environmental friendly holidays that they've had, because you need to know how to do it from where you are, and you, it would obviously be a nice social thing. People could show their holiday photos and give tips and tell them about the pitfalls, the things to watch out for. Um, I think that could be a really nice thing to happen. A swimming costume exchange at every single swimming pool. Just have a little bin for kids swimming stuff, maternity swimming stuff, and everybody's swimming stuff. That fabric lasts for ages. My kids grow out of the things really quickly. In antenatal groups, there should be a rag use workshop so that we can seriously get rid of wet wipes and encourage people to reuse washable wipes and think about that before they've even started having lots of nappies to deal with so that you're prepared. Okay, here's a young enterprise opportunity. So if you're in a school, you could set up something with the young people so they're in charge of creating a little refill station um, they can pick what products they have. People will bring jars to school that they can refill. Uh, perhaps, you know, once a week it would pop up. Everyone would know that Friday you remember to bring your jars or your bottles and you can refill soap products, laundry products, food products, rice, dried things, pasta, um, and anything that they want to take home. How about an app that lets you see if fossil fuels are being used right now? So 
you know, like you would check the weather, but instead you're able to see what the national grid is doing, whether it's a time that lots of people are using energy, so we are burning fossil fuels, or whether it's a lovely sunny and windy day and there's plenty of renewables and you can run an energy intensive product uh, project, sorry, and you know that the grid is just using renewable energy at that moment. A cook stuff library, so it's a bit like a tool library, so you can have waffle makers and ice cream makers and bread makers and big pans and catering stuff and chocolate fountains and fondue sets and mixers and whizzers and all the sorts of things you might need for a project a few times a year, but they really could be shared among people. Get people cooking, get people sharing recipes and talking about food. It could be a really nice community thing. And how about a scheme if you're travelling for work and you work for a charity, then could you get a discount ticket or a price match on flights if you were going to travel by rail or another more sustainable way so that the charity is not losing out on money by trying to get people to travel more sustainable. And there are a couple of ideas that I have that I would actually like to be in on, but I don't know how I can make them happen. If you work for a national theatre somewhere, could I do a show that was a participative piece of theatre for a hundred people in the audience and it was like a citizens assembly, I think that would be really good. Um, and a conversation tree, so it's like a phone tree, but you, you know like the old fashioned tree that you had, so you have a conversation with one person and then they have a conversation with two other people and those two people have a conversation with two other people. I quite like the idea of that as a project as well. And maybe a conversation cafe where people sit down at tables and talk to each other but collectively we're making everyone aware that we are all having more and more conversations about climate change. I might be able to make that one happen, we'll see. All right, sorry, it's my podcast. Thank you for indulging me and listening to all my ideas. Let me know if you've got any more or if any of those sound like things that might spark something off that could actually happen. Wouldn't that be amazing as an outcome? I was trying to write a children's book about it as well, but I can't, I can't think of the ending. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to give them false hope, but you don't want to destroy them either. I know. <laughs> I think it might have a happy ending. Uh, not yet, and that's probably the best way to go. Not, uh, and then everybody died and we all burned. It's not ideal, is it? Well, I just feel like you wouldn't get the best response from like seven-year-olds if you wrote a book about that. I'm not sure I could get a publisher interested either. Thank you to all my climates. In this episode, you heard Greta, Stanley, Jess, Ian, Emily, Meredith, Harper, Alistair, Tess, Michael, Ben, Aaron, Lily, Catherine, Gregor, Dan, Derek, Anne, and I'm Hazel. And there we have it. Thank you for listening all the way through. I couldn't have made this podcast without the support of my mum, Dan, my beautiful children, and of course, all my friends and climates who volunteered to be a part of it. It's an unfunded, self-initiated project. If you're able to share, recommend or review it, I would be incredibly grateful. Maybe series, like, maybe it's not me that does series two though as well. Maybe like it branches out. Somebody else can just do it. Just be like, right, I'm going to have a hundred conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. Because then it would be from their, their own community. Because I think one of the beauties of this is that I've done everybody I know. And then yeah. people that they know, and then people that they know. But it's personal, like, as well. So it's the, the yeah. connections. And so if somebody who was in a another community did it for themselves, that would be quite cool. Yeah.
That was good. <laughs> <laughs>